Good morning, Fellowship. How are you? Good. Good to see you this morning. My name is Andrew. If you're new with us this morning or if you uh, have not been around the past several weeks, I'm one of the teaching pastors at New Life Church just up the road. And as your pastor, Pastor Charlie, has been away on a bit of a preaching sabbatical, me and my friend Daniel Grothy have filled the pulpit for you. And uh, I've just enjoyed the time that I've gotten to spend with you. Somebody asked me last night, they said, how did the service go? I said, man, Fellowship of the Rockies, these people come with open hearts and they're responsive. And that is a preacher's dream. So I have, uh, I have driven home from these times energized by the time that I've spent with you. I've enjoyed it so much. So I have this weekend with y'all. And then next weekend is the last one. And then Pastor Charlie will be back in the saddle after that. So I hope that you've been praying for him, uh, that he'd experience refreshing in his body and in his soul. A senior pastor is a good thing, and a refreshed senior pastor is a really, really, really good thing. So uh, I'm going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand for a reading of the scripture. So let's stand together. And uh, I'll be in verses 5 through 14 of Colossians chapter 3. And when I complete the reading, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord. And you're going to respond. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know this. You're going to respond by saying, thanks be to God. And you're like, well, yeah, that's pretty good, preacher. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Just like that. So I'm going to read it. And uh, we'll have our little response, and then I'll pray, and we'll get started this morning. Paul writes, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways, in the life that you used to live. But now, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self. Everybody say old self. With its practices. And you've put on the, everybody say it, the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And here, where? Well, where's here? Ah, That will be the question that we all answer this morning. Here there is no... Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is what? And is? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Lord, we are thankful. We're so thankful. We're thankful that you haven't left us alone. One of the prophets one time said that a famine was coming, but it wasn't a famine of food or of thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the voice of the Lord. And we thank you that that famine has ended in Jesus Christ. You have spoken to us and you keep speaking to us in him. And so we're just asking this morning that as we come to the text of Scripture that it would explode with the speech of God who is always telling us about Jesus. (laughs) Make that so. We ask that you'd help us find ourselves in this story, in this text of Scripture, and that wherever we are resistant or hard-hearted or standing at a distance from your life, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we'd find ourselves drawn in, placed in a fresh way in your kingdom, in your goodness and love grant that we're asking. May the words of our mouths this morning and the meditation of our hearts 
be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, you may be seated. One of the things that we don't have in the English language uh, is a very good second person plural pronoun. I know that it's a Sunday morning and it's 1030, but think along with me. A second person plural pronoun. We really don't have it. We say you. Sometimes in a great corruption of the English language, we address groups of people by saying you guys, which is a very terrible injustice to the women in the room always, I think. The best second person plural pronoun or a stab at it that I do think that we have in the English language comes from the South. If you <laughs> yep. And even better is all y'all, all y'all. I love that. That's buttery. That's all y'all is good. And so one of the things, because we don't have that, one of the things that's lost on us oftentimes when we read the scriptures is that the scripture is not written to individuals, primarily. Individuals are always included in it. But it's not written to individuals. This is the letter of Paul to who? To the Colossians. To a group of people. The Corinthians too. You know if we were reading Corinthians or Galatians or whatever. But it's always a letter written to a group of people. And Paul always has the group of people as a group of people that are the body of Christ together. He always has them in view. And so this passage that we just read from, if we're not careful, we'll think that the Apostle Paul from a prison cell in the first century was writing to us to give us something inspirational for our devotional life, you know? The first century is equivalent of Jesus calling or something. He's not. What he's doing is he's writing to the church, the community of faith. And he's calling the community of faith to rise up in its identity as the community of faith, as the people of God. So if I was to give, now I um, wasn't born and raised in Oklahoma, but I got there as fast as I could. And so if I was to give a sort of uh, Oklahoma preacher reading of this, the Apostle Paul to the Colossians, it would go something like this. Paul would be writing, Y'all put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to y'all's earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry because of these things. Y'all, you know the wrath of God is coming. And y'all used to walk in these ways in the life that all y'all once lived. But now, y'all need to rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, y'all, since you've taken off y'all's old self with its practices and Y'all put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all, y'all. And he's in all, y'all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe y'all selves. Isn't that nice how y'all works? You can just tuck it into any old wear. Clothe y'all selves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness, patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against somebody, you can almost feel the Apostle Paul's wink in that. You know, like, I know you guys are fussing a little bit, so figure it out, guys. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, y'all. And over all these virtues, all y'all put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's addressing the church as a group of people beloved in the Lord and rescued in the Lord. And he's saying, I want you to live up to your identity as the people of God. So all that stuff that all y'all used to live in, 
when you were just part of pagan society, the way that pagan society bites and claws and destroys itself with its anger and its rage and its malice and its slander and its filthy language and its greed. Because I don't want you to do that anymore. You know why? Because you are the place in the new creation or in the old creation where God's new creation can be seen. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The church is like where the new creation is exploding upon the world. The church is the place where the heavenly city shines forth. The church is the place where the kingdom of God shines forth. And so he looks at the church not just as a sea of private individuals, but he looks at them as a new society. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul actually calls the Philippian believers a colony of heaven. Isn't that good? He says, you are a colony of heaven. Do you know that that's your identity as the people of God? That you together are to live your lives as a church, as a community, in such a way that the world around you would look at the way that you live and go, oh, that's what human society is supposed to look like. We're out here killing ourselves, but these guys, they've discovered something else. If you don't know this about the writings of the Apostle Paul, you need to know it. That for the Apostle Paul, I want to say it to you this way, that the church is not incidental. Everybody say not incidental. It's not incidental to God's redeeming work in the world. The church is actually the point of God's redeeming work in the world. Do you understand that? That the church is not that group of people who meets on Sundays just because we all happen to believe the same things about God. It is not as though Jesus, by his spirit, is just kind of walking around tapping people on the shoulder and awakening them to all that he is. And then we get together on Sundays and it's kind of this pep rally where we sort of remember that these things are true, right? The church is not the Jesus club. The church is the body of who? Of Christ. And that's a profound thing for the New Testament to claim, isn't it? The church is the body of Christ. That means that the church is the way in which Jesus Christ is available now to the world. And he's the way in which Christ Jesus is available to each one of us. Christ is all and is in all y'all. Right? That's what the church is. It's not incidental to God's redeeming work in the world. It's actually the point. God's dream has always been to have a rescued humanity that shows the rest of the world what a rescued humanity actually looks like. What happens when God gets a hold of human societies? What happens when God gets a hold of families? What happens when God saves Pueblo? You know what happens? Fellowship of the Rockies comes into being. A city set on a hill, shining with all the glory of the heavenly kingdom. This has always been God's purpose. If you look at the book of Genesis, chapter 12, the first 11 chapters of Genesis describe the coming apart at the seams of the human story in great detail. And then we get God's solution to the problems that had vexed humanity here in chapter 12 of Genesis. The Lord, the scripture says, had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will, what's the word there? Bless you, I will make you into a great name, and you will be a, what's the word? Blessing, I will bless those who bless you, whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be what? Will be blessed through you. Now, do you know what the blessing, what blessing means in the scriptures? We have no concept of this. 21st century, United States of America, the English language, blessing is a very soft word. So when somebody does something cute or embarrassing or whatever, and we want to say something patronizing to them 
for having so done the thing that was cute or embarrassing. What do we say? Oh, bless your heart. Pat him on the head. Blessing in the scriptures is a much deeper and richer and much more powerful thing than that. One Old Testament scholar says that blessing is this, and I think that he's right. I think that the scriptures bear this out. Hear me this morning. That blessing is God's power for life released in a situation of death that overcomes death. So do you understand what God is doing with Abram and his family? Out of all of the breakdown of human society that was raging around Abram, God says, hey, buddy, come over here. Come over here. Here's what's going to happen. You see out there human society? You see how it's just riddled with death and disease and corruption and anger and rage and malice and every form of slander? Do you see how it's full of sexual immorality and impurity and greed and all kinds of evil desires? Do you see all of that? Abram, so come here. What I'm going to do, like the name of all of that out there is death. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to place my power for life on you, on Sarah, and all of your descendants after you. And that power for life is going to be so rich among you that as you walk with me, what will happen is that that vibrating, <laughs> fomenting, fermenting power of unbreakable life will actually spill out beyond your boundaries and it will touch all of the peoples of the earth. They will be blessed through you. Are you tracking with me this morning? The whole plan of God in scripture is to have a people that would bear the life of God to the nations that are riddled with death. This is why the Lord says to Moses or through Moses to the people of God at the foot of Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19, he says that although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of, do you know it? Priests, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What do priests do? They represent people to God, but they also represent the power and the will and the presence of God to people. And the Lord says to his people at the foot of Mount Sinai that that's the kind of people that you're going to be. The kind of people that are so rich with my presence that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And so the early church's understanding of itself was that it was that group of people on whom the promise given to Abram and the promise given to Moses had fallen because of what God had accomplished for them in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul writes to the Ephesian believers, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know. And then he says three things here. I want you to know the hope to which he's called you. So that moment at which Jesus Christ will return again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. That moment at which all of God's unbreakable life will come spilling into the world to renew all things, to bring about the new creation. He says, I want you to know that you have a hope in that world. You will be welcomed into that heavenly kingdom when it comes, number one. Number two, I want you to know the riches of his glorious inheritance where? In his holy people. That the riches, guys, are in the church. The riches of his glorious inheritance are in the church. It's here. Riches are not, in the biblical imagination, riches are not money. It's not wealth. It's not stuff. Riches are what we have with each other because of what God has done for us in Jesus. So the first thing is the hope, and the second thing is the riches. And then the third thing is this. Watch this. And his incomparably great what? 
Everybody say it real loud. His incomparably great what? Power. His incomparably great what? Power. power for us who believe. And that power is the, it's the same. That power is the same as the mighty strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his what? His body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So if you ask the apostle Paul, what is the church? His answer is not the Jesus club. If you ask the apostle Paul, what is the church? Paul says that the church is that group of humanity that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has yanked up out of their graves with Christ Jesus. And they have been seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And the same power that was at work in raising Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells in them. And that power, just like God promised to Abram and just like he promised to Moses, will be so rich among them that the church actually will be and is the body of Christ. And then Paul, and this is almost outrageous language, but he says that the church is the fullness. Everybody say the fullness. The church is the fullness of the one who fills everything in every way. Do you guys understand that you as a community of faith are the place in Pueblo, Colorado, where God has poured his power for life out and it is being stirred up on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis in this community and it is spilling out beyond your boundaries. It is touching the poor and the lost and the wayward and the lonely in this city and it's drawing them into the heavenly kingdom of God. That is who you are. Do you understand that? The church is the fullness of the one who fills everything in every way. So the Apostle Paul's message to the Colossian believers and his message to us this morning is that in Christ Jesus, you are the place in the old creation where the power of the new creation shines forth. Therefore, he says, become what you are. Become what you are. Guys, being part of the church is no ordinary thing. It is a very extraordinary thing. All of the power of the age to come, all of the power of the resurrection, all of the power of the Holy Spirit, it is here renewing human lives together in community, making them the place where the new creation can be seen, which is why Paul says that you have put off the what? the old self, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, and what? And here, he says, there is none of those old divisions that used to characterize humanity. Paul actually sees the church as the place where Christ Jesus is actual, where his presence can be known and tasted and felt and experienced just the same way that it was in the first century when he walked with those 12 disciples on the dusty roads of Galilee. Are we on the same page this morning? Become what you are, understand what you are, and live up into it. And I have been a part of the church my entire life, and I'm telling you that I have seen this at work. I've seen the power of God's new creation racing out from individuals and touching other members of the body of Christ in order to renew our lives and make them good and sound. I grew up in this non-denominational church in central Wisconsin, charismatic Pentecostal church, we always used to have prayer meetings, prayer meetings all the time. It was like our bread and butter. We gathered for church on Sunday and church on Wednesday. And in between and tucked in all around that was just prayer meetings, prayer meetings, prayer meetings, prayer meetings. And my parents who were on the founding board of elders for that community were very, very cruel and unusual people. 
They made me sit in every one of those dang prayer meetings. And my friends would be out playing outside, you know, having a jolly good time. And I'd be in there with the adults, having to endure the prayer meeting. And you know, in a Pentecostal church, nobody ever gives an end time for a prayer meeting. We're just going to pray until the glory falls, however long it takes, you know. The one hour, two hour, three hours. I can't tell you how many of those prayer meetings I sat in. And, and I actually, you know, as I got older and now as, I'm, as an adult looking back on it, I so appreciate that they made me do that because I saw something. I saw what happens when a group of people set their faces towards the Lord. God pours his spirit out. And in the way that you perceive it with the eyes of your heart, I would watch the spirit of God dance through that room. People overcome with emotion, breaking down and crying, the spirit resting upon them. It was just marvelous to behold. It was something else. And it, you just knew that it wasn't just sort of collective hysteria, <laughs> but it was God. It was God coming to rest on them. And the thing that always marked those prayer meetings, and I will always remember this, is what happened as soon as the prayer meeting was over. It was a profound experience to be there in the power and the presence of God. But when the prayer meeting was over, do you know what it was marked by? Love like you've never seen before. People hugging each other and embracing each other and loving each other. And there was like joy in the face of each other written across each face. And you know what that is? That's the spirit of God in us recognizing the spirit of God in one another. And knowing that somehow our connection with one another is deeper than just the connection between flesh and blood. It's the connection of God's own life pulling us together. Are we on the same page this morning? That's what it means to be part of the church. And that power is a profound power. It's a life-healing, life-transforming power. I remember my sister, uh, my 18th birthday, my sister was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, she had been sick most of the summer. Nobody really knew what was going on. My parents decided to take her to the hospital. They ran some blood work on her. It came back like 98% leukemia is a disease of your blood cells. It came back like 98% bad blood cells in her blood. Crisis. Doctors wanted to admit her right then and there and start treatment on her. My mom pleaded with them, let us take her home so that we can rally our community and pray just for a couple hours and we'll be right back there. And they let her. So she brought my sister home, made some phone calls, and you've never seen a group of people rally so fast. And I will never forget sitting on the back porch of my parents' house with a group of people that were in those prayer meetings that I talked about when I was a kid, many of whom were in those prayer meetings. One of them in particular, Dr. Drock, a physician, chiropractor in our community, led the charge, anointing my sister with oil in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and claiming the blessing of God upon her, the blessing that overcomes every force of death that stands against us. And I watched God's power for life released over her life. And it was not an instantaneous healing. It was a two-year slugfest, but she came through it out on the other side as the community rallied and supported. And at every stage of our journey, Mandy and I, we have seen the power of the body of Christ at work. Jesus actually says to his disciples, he says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, what does he say? I'm there in the midst of them. Guys, when two or three are gathered in his name, he is there. Heaven is present. The kingdom has come. The will of God is being done, and it's rescuing human lives. It's rescuing human lives. And I see it everywhere. I see it at our church, New Life Church. I see it here at Fellowship of the Rockies when I'm walking around in y'all's lobby. There's that y'all again. <laughs> I see it in that buzz, that hum that's in the lobby. And you know what that is? 
That's the hum of the love that is a manifestation of the unbreakable power of God. And you know it because you've tasted it. There's something of that love that heals our lives and it makes them sound. And that, if all of that is true, and I think it's true, and I know that there's a group of people here that will bear witness to that this morning. If that is true, it explains something that I've noticed in the church and maybe you've also noticed in the church. And I noticed it when I was a young boy and I continued to notice it as I got older. And now that I've, I've been a pastor 12 or 13 years, I, it is absolutely and infallibly true, this thing. And that is this. I used to watch this happen when I was little, that I would watch individuals or families or couples, I would watch them press their way into the heart of the church, become really involved. Small groups and worship services and all the stuff and outreach and all the stuff that the church was doing. They got themselves caught up in the flow of life in the community of faith. And you know what happened to them? It wasn't all at once, sometimes very gradual, imperceptible, but very definitely over time. Do you know what you would see? You would see stuff in their life that was not working when they first started coming in. All of a sudden, it would start to work. Have you seen this before? All of a sudden, marriages are working where they weren't working before. All of a sudden, families are working where they weren't working before. All of a sudden, individuals who were just riddled with loneliness and doubt and fear and isolation, all of a sudden, they find themselves, they discover themselves to be beloved members of the body of Christ, sons and daughters of God that are given a place in the family, and some kind of wholeness steals into their life. And I don't know, I don't know how else to explain it, except I think that that's just the power of Christ Jesus working through the community of faith. There's something in the air of the church that's wholesome, guys, when the Spirit of God is genuinely present. Any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Come on, you can admit it. It's all good. Make it an annual read. And You know, when people in Middle Earth, when they visit the home of the elves, you know, like Rivendell, like Rivendell like has this way of like healing their bodies and their minds and their souls. And I honestly think that that's a picture of the church, that there's something about the church that when you wander into it, when you find yourself leaning into the depth of life that's available in the church, that your life gets healed. It becomes wholesome. And it also explains something else, the flip side I've noticed, that when people begin to float from the church and sever themselves from the fellowship, remove themselves from the flow of life in the church, you know what happens to them? I've seen this. This is infallibly true. Not all at once, gradually, often imperceptibly, but very definitely over time, things begin to break down. Marriages that were working stop working. Families that were working stop working. Decisions that single people were making, all of a sudden they're making different kinds of decisions and their life gets consumed by death and chaos. And you know why that is? Because Jesus is present here, guys. Jesus is not some wraith floating around on planet Earth, just kind of randomly making appearances. Jesus has claimed a people and he's made that group of people his body. And that group of people that is his body is full of the spirit of God. And wherever they are, Christ Jesus is present to heal and deliver and make whole. Are we on the same page this morning? So here is my question for you. Are you vitally connected to the body of Christ? Are you vitally connected to the body of Christ? And you know it when you're vitally connected, don't you? All of the ligaments and sinews and blood vessels of the church, you're connected to all of it. You're receiving life and giving life, receiving grace and giving grace, receiving mercy and giving mercy. You're caught up in the flow of life in the family of God. And when you're not part of that, you also know it in your bones, don't you? Are you vitally connected to the body of Christ? And if you're not, and this is a 
question that I'm posing to you this morning. If you're not vitally connected to the body of Christ, I have a good idea of why you might not be. Because I, in my experience, it's pretty much the same for everybody. And you know what it is? It's wounds. It's hurt. It's because something was done to us in the church that makes us mistrust the church and mistrust God's people. And so do you know what we do? We keep God's people at arm length. We refuse to press in because it just hurts too much. Because having to face that pain and overcome that alienation and the wound that we experience is just too much for us. And so we go, I don't want that. I'll attend worship services sometimes, once a month maybe. But getting involved with people, oh, I'm not going to do that. We keep people at arm's length. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've sat down with so many people over the years that have, quote, unquote, lost their faith or are losing their faith. I don't believe in the church anymore. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe any of that stuff anymore. And you know what I have come to realize? That those who say that they're losing their faith, usually it's not philosophical. It presents itself as philosophical. Well, I've been thinking about it, and I just think all that stuff is just a load of hooey. Then you start asking questions, and you know what you discover more often than not? That somewhere along the line, that group of people that was supposed to be the healing, blessing presence of God hurt that person. And so they mistrust the whole thing. Now, here's the honest-to-God truth about being hurt in the body of Christ. There is not, and you need to hear this, there is not some special group of people out there that have been hurt and know better than the rest of us. I want you to lift your hand up real high this morning if you have ever been wounded by anyone in the body of Christ before. Real high. Okay. No, the rest of you, never been hurt, never been wounded? Guys, it's like 100% of us. <laughs> it's 100%. And the flip side is also true, isn't it? Lift your hand up real high if you have ever inflicted a wound upon another member of the body of Christ. There it is. There it is. So guys, we are either going to go forward together in grace and mercy and peace and forgiveness. We're either going to press into relationship and experience all of the riches of his glorious inheritance and the saints, or this whole thing is going to fall apart. The wheels are going to fall off and we're all just going to go back to our ordinary pagan lives. I am saying to you this morning that I believe in better things. And I've been wounded by the church. The deepest wounds of my life have come at the hands of those who have confessed Jesus as Lord. Sad to say it, but it's true. But this is what I know. That all of the resurrecting, life-giving, life-renewing, world-renewing power of God is also available in the church. And so you know what I've done? I've pressed in through it. And I've found that God has this way of bringing wholesomeness, wholeness into my life. I am so glad that I'm a member of the body of Christ because every good thing that I've ever experienced in my life has come through the church in some way, shape, or form. And so what Paul says to the Colossian believers is the same thing that he's saying to us this morning. He's saying, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Why compassion? Because we're all part of the problem. So there's nobody in here that's more righteous than anybody else. There's nobody in here that's just got a spotless record of never hurting anybody in the body of Christ. We're all sinners in need of repentance and redemption. So he says, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness. And what else? Humility and gentleness and patience and bear with each other. Because you're going to make a mess. Our pastor, senior pastor at New Life, Pastor Brady, he always says, wherever two or three are gathering in his name, there's going to be some fussing. (laughs) 
bear with each other. You're going to step on each other's toes, and it's going to get messy, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to be confusing at times, but bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone else, forgive as what? As the Lord forgave you. Guys, Jesus Christ, God in Christ, has canceled all of our sins in him. What right have we to hold sin, to hold offense against somebody else? We don't. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. My question to you this morning, we'll close with this. Will you let the Lord's love prevail in you? Because when the love of the Lord prevails in us, when it conquers in us, do you know what it does? It unites us to the church. And actually the path of letting the Lord's love prevail in us is the path of surrendering ourselves, pressing deeply into the body of Christ, through the hurt, through the pain, through the offense, and into vital contact with the life of God. Lord, we are here before you this morning as a people that need you more desperately than we could ever say. And I know it because I've seen it. We wound each other so deeply in the body of Christ. And so we're asking that you would overcome all of that. Wherever we're holding the church or holding you at arm's length because of things that we've experienced, we just ask that the power of your Holy Spirit would prevail over us. And you'd put back into us a desire to be united with others. Break down the walls that separate us. Jew and Gentile, male and female, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Cause those walls to fall to the ground, null and void in Jesus. And bring us back deeply into the church, we pray. We're asking all these things. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen.